Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and with the Formula One season in full swing, there's been plenty of talk about the success stories. But there have also been some disappointments, with Fernando Alonso and Alpine among those having a difficult start to the season. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to explain why and discuss some of the other strugglers are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, hello. You're, you're back in your cupboard again. Is that where you regularly live now after your, after your recent back injury? <laughs> no, I'm, my back's all fine. Uh, I'm, I'm good, uh, fit as a fiddle again. Um, this is just because uh, I, I have my uh, little setup in here when I'm recording voiceovers for the Race YouTube channel. Um, and uh, the podcast that we did from here, uh, the other the other uh, episode uh, was was so pleasant. Doing it stood up. I thought uh, I thought I'd come back for more. Um, but the actual honest answer is that um, I've got limited room in my flat, and my uh, my desk is currently um, overrun with sim racing equipment. And uh, I didn't have time to take that all down in uh, before we recorded this podcast. So laziness is the reason I am in my cupboard. Mark Hughes, you're you're having a bit of fun, aren't you? Because you're heading to Portugal shortly, but you've you've been having the fun of of travelling in in COVID times with all sorts of fun forms and bureaucracy and weird routes to be factored in. Yeah, it's it's not the most straightforward of things to do to to travel at the, at the moment, as you can probably appreciate and. To get from Manchester to Faro for the Portuguese Grand Prix involves me going to um, uh, Amsterdam, Dusseldorf, and then Faro. But in order to get the Amsterdam, in order to get the Dusseldorf to Faro flight, um, it, which is very early in the Wednesday morning, I have to arrive in Dusseldorf on Tuesday night, which means stepping out of the airport to stay in a hotel, which means technically being in in Germany, and um, they don't want people in in Germany from from outside uh, unless there's an absolute necessity to do so so um, there's a lot of um, form filling involved um, in fact there's three lots of form filling involved just to get there because there's three three I'm going through three different countries um, so yes it's not straightforward and then there's, a, there's always late flight cancellations because not enough people have booked them so the airlines cancel the flights and uh, one of those things has happened on my return flight, and that has to all be rerouted. And yeah, so that's that's just logistical stuff that's gone on in the background. Very boring, really. <laughs> Fun and games, but still, it's it's nice that we're among the people who are fortunate enough to be able to get out and about a little bit and travel, travel a little. So uh, it's a small price to pay, but it does uh, does create some uh, some headaches. Well, let's uh, crack on with it, Mark. We saw Fernando Alonso get that first point of his comeback at Imola. He had a pretty difficult race. I'm sure we can be confident he'll be back on top form once he's had a bit more time in the car. But why do you think Alpine's made such an unconvincing start to this season? It's just not a very good car at the moment. It's um, it's it looks pretty aero inefficient. Its straight line speeds aren't that great. Um, it's got pretty iffy traction, and it's got um, some shortfall in a specific speed range of corners, mm. medium speed corners. 
um, even though it works okay in slow and high speed. So that suggests there's some sort of aero separation issue going on somewhere, um, which I'm sure they'll find. But it, um, yeah, it's just not that great a car as things stand at the moment. So you lay a lot, a lot to do there. It gradually looks less and less convincing, I have to say. I've seen it, obviously, in Bahrain and testing the race weekend down at Imola, and it's always looked a bit floaty, as I like to call it, as in when you've got a car that's not not terribly balanced or anything, but just doesn't look really, really planted with that with that downforce. And it's kind of looked more and more like that. It was really noticeable, watch down at uh, Acro Minerale. Just, just wasn't a, a car that the drivers could really commit in the same same way with. But, Scott, we know they've had a few problems over the winter, what do we actually know exactly about the detail of the struggles they've had? Well, basically, they went into winter testing knowing that they'd had a bad winter. So everything that we saw at testing, you remember, it feels like so much longer ago now. It was only a few weeks back. But we were saying after Bahrain, it was only three days, so it was difficult to really get a handle on things. But we were saying it was Alpine and Aston Martin were the two that just seemed most difficult to get a real read on. And Aston Martin was because a lot lot of that was unreliability. They hadn't done as much running. And Alpine, it was just kind of, for me anyway, it was like watching a team where you're like, well, they must, they must be holding something back because they just don't look impressive. And actually, it turns out that that testing performance that, that we were seeing... Um, in Bahrain was exactly what what the team was experiencing, but also expecting because they basically had some wind some issues in the wind tunnel. I don't know exactly whether that's a correlation problem or that they put stuff into the wind tunnel and it didn't work. Um, but they've had some kind of development logjam, I think, uh, which means that they've gone come into the start of the season undercooked. Uh, they haven't made the progress with the 2021 aero changes with the around you know the back of the floor and the the, the diffuser and, and all of that those four key changes there they haven't made as much progress as they wanted there but i think the fundamental aero development of the car has stalled as well because they had this problem in the tunnel over the winter so i i don't think the i don't think the 21 car is where they I don't think the 21 car is where they need it to be. I don't think it's where they wanted it to be or maybe planned it to be when they were sort of looking. Because obviously the, the teams map out their development timelines and stuff so far in advance that it would have been ages ago that they'd have had, right, okay, well, we'll have this spec at testing and we'll try this. And then for the first race, we'll have something else. Um, but the main thing is that they they've now got to a point where they're they're trying to they're having to develop to solve problems rather than develop to sort of fight in the midfield if you see what i mean they've they've got to bring upgrades just to catch up with the opposition let alone actually establish themselves at the front of the midfield so i think they're in a really difficult position and um the team has characterized it as needing more than just a few upgrades to get that car where it needs to be so i i don't think these are problems that have a quick fix i think that they've probably been there for a few months now and um i think it's another i think it's another worrying sign for this team because obviously they had a messy winter with the management reshuffle and everything and i it it looks a little bit of a mess at the moment to be completely honest that's a strange thing with that team isn't it it's had it's had moments and stretches there was a period last season where it looked like things were really back together and on the up again and then it it faded a bit but my we know there's good people there. It's a team that's got reasonable resources, well, decent facilities. Why do you think it's not quite coming together there? 
think a lot of it's legacy. I think, you know, it's been trying to catch up for the last, um, well, since Renault came back in 17. Um, and I think probably a lot of the, the focus is on 22. And we know that um, the power unit plant in Viri has been completely transformed. And that starts operating um, this month, actually. So there's uh, probably a lot of work going on there. There's probably um, a lot of work going on on the, the whole 22 project. And I'm sure that a certain amount of time was allocated to the 21 car, not in the expectation that it was going to be as far off as it is, but I, I don't really see that um, they are going to want to suddenly start diverting resource from the 22 project onto this car and if it's if it can't be tweaked into a reasonable into reasonable shape i think um you know they'll just have to live with it for the for the balance of this season yeah that would be the logical thing to do i guess the big question is if there are weaknesses in this car that are fundamental to the way the team operates i.e things they need to troubleshoot and learn to stop them carrying over into next year's car, that's when it gets a bit more complicated, doesn't it? Sometimes you have things that are kind of localised to a 21 car, in which case, fine, you just live with it. But if if there's something that, that they know is related to their fundamental process or that they suspect could be but aren't sure, then it becomes much, much more difficult. But they're, they're certainly right to, to look at the long term. It's not, it's not, um, it's not the first time, though, with the, the sort of this iteration of Endstone that we've... Um, We've had these weird sort of development plateaus. Was it um, was it 2019 when Cyril Abitable was promising that fancy aero upgrade package at Paul Paul Ricard, and he was, I think he was in Monaco, and and he was saying, oh, you know, don't uh, people expect so much of us? I don't know why they expect so much of us. By the way, for the French Grand Prix, we're going to have a package that's worth four seconds, and we're going to be amazing. But obviously, that's a massive embellishment. But I'm pretty sure he was promising quite a significant performance step from that. And it just didn't happen. And then, if memory serves, they their development wasn't that impressive at all through 2019. So are they? Just, is it just the sort of organisation where you, if you get it right, you don't get it right in a spectacular way, and then you get it wrong and you fall behind, and it's just these really measured sort of measured sort of peaks and troughs where they don't fall a huge amount behind but they never really star and but they and but they are definitely oscillating in terms of form I don't I don't I don't feel like they're a particularly dependable midfield team yeah you don't have huge confidence in them as a result I mean that 2019 thing the problem they had they just couldn't get anything new out of the barge boards when they made modifications the whole car wasn't kind of very well joined up arrow wise so they hit a wall and they had to do the the next year's car. Obviously, they did the the slender nose last year, which which did work. But yeah, you want to see that consistent improvement. And although, as Mark said, the legacy problems they had because that team was hugely underinvested in before Renault took it over over a long time. So there was a lot for them to rebuild. But they kind of got the low hanging fruit to get up to a certain level. And we thought, oh, this is all looking very good. They're taking you know one step after another. They got up to fourth in the championship, and then they've just sort of. It's like they just sort of hit that ceiling and are just sort of floating around underneath it, bouncing around between fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth best. So, so Mark, when you look at it, do you think there's any reason to be confident in them? Is it just that it takes such a long time now with Formula One that it, it will need something like 2022 to let that team have a fair reset? Or do you think there are more fundamental problems that need to be solved? I, I'm sure they um, they will identify the the, the, the basic 
uh, tri trickiness in the aero that's um, that, that's causing it to misbehave at certain in certain speed ranges. Um, but in terms of, as Scott said earlier, that's just catching up to the others, isn't it? And um, no, in, in terms of them suddenly joining that fight with McLaren, Ferrari, AlphaTauri, no, it, it doesn't look like it. I would expect them to um, just continue in this this sort of no man's land that they are. They are really. It's not no, no, no man's land, really, is it? It's it's. Roughly in the territory that Aston Martin's also in, that Alfa Romero might be in on a good day, that Williams can aspire to. It's that sort of area, um, the sort of back third of the of, of the grid, really, um, the front end of the back third, <laughs> if you like. And I think um, that the the gap up to that next little group of McLaren, Ferrari, and Tari is um, is quite a significant chunk. And I think to be thinking you're going to be able to claw that back. And you know, and some more. I, I don't think is. Um, I wouldn't be confident in in, in the, uh, expecting that. I think we need to establish exactly what the nature of this issue they've had in the wind tunnel over the winter is, because that's not a particularly encouraging thing to hear from a team that's banking an awful lot on new regulations, is it for for next year? If you if you're in the process of developing a brand new car to brand new technical rules and you're coming off a winter where you haven't been able to develop your known car the way you wanted, that's not going to inspire a huge amount of faith in the processes, is it? No, it's very true. Um, so I think we, until we know more detail from the inside, I think um, we, we, it's hard to sort of um, make a, a dependable sort of, um, you know, sort of look, looking forward to to have any sort of idea of uh, where they're going to be. And how about Alonso? Obviously, he'll be a little bit frustrated with the competitiveness of the car. I know he wasn't expecting wins and podiums to be uh, happening much this year, but, well, wins certainly not at all. But, obviously, he's had a mixed start to the season. Bahrain wasn't too bad before he had some problems. Imola was a tricky one, and he had he had quite a difficult race at Imola, actually. All sorts of issues got passed by Mick Schumacher a couple of times, had a spin under the safety car, a number of offs. It was quite a quite a messy weekend for Alonso, who was very frank about his own his own weaknesses. But Scott, do you think anyone should be worried about Alonso? Obviously, there's some people queuing up to say, "Oh, it just shows he's he's past it." Personally, I don't subscribe to that. But do you think there's any concern there? Um, well, he he did say throughout the winter that it would take a few races for him to feel like he was at, at, at that level. And I think um, I think Sergio Perez put it quite well after qualifying on Saturday, Imola, that that was probably the worst track you could go to or one of the worst tracks you could go to early in your phase of acclimatising to a team and car because it's a it's a track that rewards confidence and punishes hesitance. So, And, and Alonso looked like the embodiment of that over the course of the weekend. So I, I'm willing to sort of given the benefit of the doubt and say it might have been circuit specific. I know that he says he can't rely on that as an excuse and he's absolutely right. But if you look at how well he did in Bahrain, you know, he, he did haul that car into to Q3 um, and he he was uh, enjoying himself early on racing inside the top 10. Obviously, he was, he was slipping back before the sandwich wrapper, I think, ruined his ruined his race. Um, but there was, a, there, I, I feel like there was enough there was enough shown in Bahrain already to, to, 
to to believe that this is a guy who can go back to his sort of hustling best. Um, I just think Imola was a particularly challenging weekend, and you we we saw exactly the same from Daniel Ricciardo, another guy who looked really solid for much of the Bahrain weekend, and then suddenly was three temps adrift of Lando Norris pretty much the entire time at Imola, and then smashed to pieces in the final stint of the Grand Prix. So, you know, Alonso, Ricardo, they, they these guys, they haven't become bad drivers. And Ricardo doesn't even have the excuse of being out of Formula One for the last two seasons, does he? So all of this put together makes me feel like we can, just, at the moment, treat Imola as a bit of a special case. Portugal is going to be difficult because I guess he needs to get up to speed at that track. It's worth remembering that Alonso didn't race at Imola last year like all the others and he wouldn't have raced at Algarve either. So there's an element at play there. Do we need to wait for Barcelona? to That that, that feels like a a decent sort of line in the sand draw. If, right, if he's still, if he's two or three temps off Ocon there and racing poorly, making mistakes, then I think maybe you can say this is, this isn't a very encouraging position for his comeback to be in. At the moment, it would be too premature to say that he's genuinely struggling or not going to get back to the, the levels we've seen in the past. Do you think, Mark, with things not starting so well for Alpine, Alonso will be starting to get a little bit worried about the decision he's made? Obviously, he'll have a very good read on what's going on there. He's obviously saying all the right things at the moment. He's still going to concentrate on getting himself up, up to speed. But how concerned do you think he might be already? I think in the back of his mind, he'll have to be concerned. And the, the, the forward bit of his mind, he's got to keep motivation. He's got to keep questions uh, like that at bay. But it's inevitable that there will be in there somewhere. What, what am I doing here? I've been um, uh, I'm running out of time and I'm in an uncompetitive situation. So, yeah, it's bound to be um, playing on him. But in terms of his own personal performance, um, no, I don't think... Um, I don't think he's particularly behind his own schedule in, in, in that. And if you look at... All the new guys, all the experienced new guys, and in, in, what experienced guys in new teams, they're all struggling. You know, there's him, uh, as you said, there's Perez, Ricciardo, uh, Vettel, Sainz. They're all about the same chunk off their incumbent teammates. Um, so I, think, I guess that's just what you get with one and a half days of preseason preparation uh, in in very complex cars. So uh, and the I wondered as well, each of those five drivers, they've all not just changed teams, they've changed power units. And these are extremely um, sophisticated but complicated bits of kit to operate. And I wonder how much of how much of it is that as well. Not just the car, but the power unit, because every one of them has, has gone to a different power unit. So I think, um, yes, he's going he's gonna to have... Uh, natural uh, concerns about where the team is at and what its potential is. Um, it will be sticking a lot on 22. He'll be wanting to know exactly what's gone wrong this year that can be, um, you know, attended to in time for to make sure that the, the 22 car is not fundamentally flawed in the same way. Um, and I think he'll be relatively satisfied with his own progress, but yeah, I think sort of Barcelona, as Scott said, sounds like a reasonable time probably to, to take a reading on that latter aspect. I would add that at the moment what we're hearing from Alonso is he does 
he does seem to genuinely be enjoying enjoying the experience at the moment. I know he was very critical of his own performance over the course of the Imola weekend, but everything else around that, he does seem to be someone who is um, just fundamentally being enjoying being back Grand Prix racing again. I know Ed, you mentioned that you know he's saying all the right things about the team, but I mean more about the experience of being back in Formula One, qualifying, driving these cars in qualifying in Bahrain. I remember he was quite effusive in his praise and then Imola as well. I think, Mark, you spoke to him after, was it after qualifying? I think at Imola. He does seem to, he doesn't seem to be someone whose head's dropped, even though he he didn't exactly have a particularly enjoyable weekend in terms of performance. No, I think that's true. I think that's fair. But we are only two races into the comeback. So, you know, the, <laughs> the, there'll be a honeymoon period. Because um, it it will be great to be back after after that time away, um, just just to be actually back being a Formula One driver doing all the things you remember doing that were starting to fade a little bit in from the memory. Um, so so yeah, I'm sure it's still an enjoyable experience, but um, the, the competitive animal will um, start demanding um, a bit more than that quite soon. I think another 21 weekends spent driving a shed is probably going to bring the worst out of him, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think in his last, his, his second stint at McLaren, I think um, although he, he had those rants about the engine of the radio, there was nobody in the team that felt he was a demotivating force, or you know, he didn't demotivate anyone. They they all thought he was great to work with. So I think he's, he's a lot more mature than he's um, this than he was in the, his first McLaren season, and um, I think uh, a lot of the reputation is it goes goes back to there and then the, his first stint and ultimately he knows times against him so he can't afford to have any period where he's not giving his best because he's got to get the most out of the alpine opportunity there's a tiny chance that some bigger team might need a driver of his caliber if something weird happens in the driver market that'll be in the back of his mind so he's got to deliver a consistently high level for alpine to show that he's back to his best in the not too distant future just to maximize the chances because no, he's he's pushing 40 now, so time is against him. So he, he needs to, to deliver. Scott, of those drivers we've mentioned, the newcomers, which one do you think's made the best start, all things considered? Uh, who are the newcomers? <laughs> Vettel, Aston Alonso, Martin, Alonso Ricardo, Vettel, yeah. Perez, Sainz, Ricardo. Okay. Um, I, I was... Can, I was going to try and find a sarcastic way to say Vettel, but um, I, I I can't put him through that. He's ha- he's not having a great time. Um, I would, uh, I I think all round, I would say I've been really impressed by Signs. I I felt like he wasn't. He was sort of like in the middle after testing. He didn't seem quite like where Ricardo and Alonso were, but he definitely wasn't having or talking in the way that Perez and better were qualifying i feel like he i I feel like he sort of extracted some performance that was quite impressive obviously immolary was less satisfied with but he's driven really smartly he's banked a load of points for the team um so i think probably him or ricardo because perez i i I was really impressed by that step and then the the actual result in qualifying immola but he did feel he should have got pole. Max made a mistake, and I think as as you wrote on 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 the race website, Ed, I I, f- I think the error strewn and slightly difficult race was evidence of the fact that he's not comfortable and he's got a way to go. So it's probably between Signs and Ricardo. And actually, I was 
probably slightly more impressed by signs overall at Imola than I was Ricardo. But yeah, either of those two, I find it a bit hard to to to, to split them. To be honest, it feels like well, Ricardo just had a bit of a slow weekend at Imola relative to Norris, didn't he? And I actually think Ricardo did well in the race to come out with that sixth place because he was struggling, but he kept it clean and was rewarded with a, a pretty decent result. Whereas Sainz in the race was was pretty close to the his qualifying pace is the the area for Sainz that he's really got to work on. He was saying that he he feels like he can do. He knows how to drive all the corners, but stringing it all together was particularly tricky. And Emila, as we've said, is a tricky circuit to get everything right at. But yeah, I think I'd be inclined to agree. I would say I don't think Emila Vettel was too bad. Uh, his race was okay. He had lots of misfortune that was nothing to do with him. But yeah, definitely Ricardo and Sainz are the, the ones who are, who are creating the, the most impression. But Mark, you mentioned how complicated these cars are. I know we've seen a lot of responses when we've run stories on the race website about people taking time to adapt, people just saying, oh, it's just excuse, etc. But it's incredibly complicated, isn't it? Understanding all the little tricks of these cars, not just how the power unit works, how the car behaves and handles, how the team works, all your diff maps and brake shapes and all these things. There's a hell of a lot just to take on board so you can apply it as second nature, isn't there? Yeah, you've got to get it so it's like muscle memory. It's just automatic. All you know, any change that needs to be made, <clears throat> any adaptation that needs to be made to a different track surface or temperature, or, you know, or a different handling trait or a different stage of the race or different tire um, management. These all things are the, the, the uh, a driver that's incumbent in that team that's got used to the systems and's got used to the feel of the cars. Um, are just going to be doing second nature and the new driver is going to have to be sort of thinking about it always sort of half a step behind. Um, and that impacts upon your confidence and the confidence thing impacts upon how much um, rotation you feel you can take in, particularly the slow corners, um, how aggressive you can be in getting the car to rotate early. Um, and that you know determines how late you can feel confident braking, how early you can get on the power, all these things, and just lap time bleeds away before you, you know, before you even know it. So, yeah, it's a lot, and it's it's a it's a complicated process, particularly with these cars, with these power units, and these tires. It it is very very complex. So I think you're seeing probably Imola was probably the, I think the the, the biggest challenge that those guys new to those teams are going to face. Um, but you know, if we, we we're talking about the guys that are new to. Um, a particular team or a particular car, a particular power unit, but um, you know, for the for the rookies, it's um, if you've got those, if those guys have got those problems, think what it's like for the rookies. The um, we we had a couple of messages um, over the last few days because obviously we've had we had this theme at Imola of these new guys or the guys that had moved teams struggling more there, and a couple of people pointed out and said, "Oh, you know, does this make?" what Hulkenberg, Nico Hulkenberg did as a stand-in last year more impressive? Does it make what George Russell did for Mercedes at the Sakir Grand Prix more impressive? And my, my position on that is like, n- not not to me, because like this is why we we were saying they did such a good job last year. And so many people viewed their performances cynically. With Russell, it was, oh, this just shows how great the Mercedes is and how easy Lewis Hamilton has it. And with with Hulk, it was, oh, well, this just shows how mediocre Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll is. That car should be doing way better than it normally is. And when we were sort of going into the detail of like listening to some of the feedback they were giving over the radio, actually watching how they went about their programs and just hearing from the people 
who were working closely with them about how they uh, uh, how they prepared and then actually executed those opportunities that's why we thought they were they did a mega job last year because that is not an easy thing to do and the 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 difference between guys like that and then a situation where these guys are all trying to get up to speed is partly I think there's an element of the pressure because when you go in and you do those one-offs I don't think there are any expectations really so while in Russell's case for example there was the wider career context I still think in that in in that exact situation uh, people that aren't necessarily expecting a great deal of you because it's so it's so difficult so that makes it fractionally easier um and I also think at the moment with the guys who have switched teams now you you're you're being benchmarked against teammates who are so well established I mean that that doesn't make it any easier uh, if you look at especially for Perez um Ricardo and Sainz they've got they're up against three teammates who not only know the team really well but they're young guys who are in great form so it's a very different situation to the guys we saw adapting last year on on one-off basis yeah slightly different comparisons to be made there and I think you've uh, explained it fairly well there but in terms of the outright newcomers the rookies one driver we haven't spoken about a great deal is Mick Schumacher Scott we'll see Haas has had a predictably difficult start to the season with Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin down at the back Schumacher's had his moments in races, spin in Bahrain, crash under the safety car at Imola. How would you evaluate the start of his F1 career so far, beyond the fact he's always started 18th and finished 16th? And spun on his way to finishing there. Um, yeah, I think if if not for those spins, I'd actually say he's been quietly quite impressive. Um, I was The thing I found frustrating about the spin at Imola wasn't so much the fact that he nosed it into the wall under the safety car because as stupid as it does look it is understandable how that can happen um the reason it frustrated me is because it undid a really good weekend's work um he if that if that event took place without that spin then his weekend would have been smashing Nikita Mazepin on pace from FP2 to the end of the Grand Prix uh qualifying pretty respectably in the context of that tight fight to get out of Q1. I think he was only three or four temps off of a, a Q2 place. Um, and overtaking Fernando Alonso twice in the Grand Prix. Once on uh, once on the opening lap, and then later on when he'd um, when Mick had come in and, and changed onto slick tyres, he pulled a... I, I was expecting him to end up in the gravel at, at Rivazza because coming out of um, Variante Alta... He got a great run on Alonso, who was on fading inters, and then Mick went offline to dive to the right of him on the on on the run down the hill. And I thought that was just going to end in tears. Um, so so you have these moments where you're like, okay, well th- this was really impressive. You know, really good pace here, really sensible driving there, um, a bit of aggression in places where when it's sensible to be aggressive and. It's just such a shame that these pockets of performance we're only seeing in the context of he has spun already in this Grand Prix. So the race is compromised. And he's a rookie. He's in a difficult car, difficult position. The conditions were bad in, and, and very tricky at Imola. I'm interested to see now we get into the season, sort of once now he's got a couple of full weekends under his belt. Get rid of those errors and let's see sort of what he can, what he's actually capable of because this is a little bit 
too similar to the Mick we saw in F2, which is you believe that there is a guy there who's capable of being quick, but is also a good racing driver. But there's also capacity for a little mistake to, to, to creep in. But he's now he's added he's made his mistake in dirty air. He's made his mistake on difficult tires. Let's call them difficult in hard, hard conditions. So don't make those mistakes again, and hopefully avoid any new mistakes. And then I think we might actually be seeing the the start of a relatively impressive rookie season. And I think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that he's had such a decisive pace advantage over Mazepin. You might say, "Oh well, Nikita Mazepin clearly." Schumacher's a better driver, but we shouldn't forget, Mazepin's been driving F1 cars, going back to as long ago as 2016, he was driving around in Force Indias. He's done quite a few test days, he had that whole private testing programme with Mercedes, so he's got plenty of experience in terms of test mileage, far, far, far more F1 mileage than Mick Schumacher has. So for, for Schumacher to be so comprehensively outpacing him is, uh, is I think, a, a pretty good effort. But yeah, it's going to be a long season for him toiling at the back, but I think a solid start. But I agree, yeah, it's a shame that that pretty good Imola weekend was undermined by a pretty horrible error because, yeah, plenty of drivers have had that that blunder, but it's still not good when you go off under the safety car. Moving a little bit more back up the field again, we talked in our Imola Review podcast about the fallout from that Bottas-Russell incident. Since then, Russell's made his apologies and climbed down a little. You wrote a piece that ran on the race's website, delving into what we learned from the whole thing. So now the dust settled, what have we actually understood about Russell and his future and what what can we take from what happened to Imola? I think what we saw at Imola was just really um, on the cards. If, if ever the, in the unlikely event that the um, that George found himself actually wheel to wheel with, with Valtteri, um, it was very unlikely because of how much quicker the Mercedes is than the Williams, but it, it just it, it came together at Imola in, in that way because of the tyre warm-up problems that Valtteri was having, which isn't just a small problem. If you can't get to them to that crucial threshold of temperature, you are miles off. You are whole seconds off. You're not tenths off. Um, so, yeah, he was in that situation. George is in a, a Williams that's actually much improved. He was, you know, both both of those cars got through to Q2 in Imola. Um, so, you know, let's say you, you've, you've, you've got a situation there where it was – just about possible they might be fighting over the same bit of track, and, and they were. And I don't think um, George could do anything other than uh, attempt a move when he's on um, hotter tyres, he's got DRS, he's got 20, 20 miles an hour advantage on him, and it's coming up to the, the, feasible, the only feasible overtaken spot on the circuit. So he went for the move, and it didn't work, and I think that's that's all. That's all that happened, really. It was just um, just that. Uh, you can talk about whether um, Valtteri squeezed him or not. I, I think he did, really. It just it's just where where George was expecting Valtteri to to be and sort of try to make a little bit too much allowance, and that's that's all that happened. But in terms of his how it's impacted upon his his future, I don't think I don't think significantly. In fact. It may even be that the reason that Toto was so annoyed um, was because in his head, George has already got the 2022 drive. And, you know, he, he didn't need to do it. He didn't need to, to, to be just, just be making up one more place. Um, so Toto's thinking about it, I, I think, from the perspective of the 
the boss saying, stop trying to impress me, stop giving me problems. But you can't, George can't be thinking like that from in the car. George is racing. He's racing not for Mercedes. He's racing for Williams. So he's got to take the opportunity. The opportunity is right there in front of him, and he goes for it. And I think that's, um, I think, uh, a good sign. I would, I would have had far more questions about George had he backed out of that move than, than he went for the move and it didn't work. Yeah, well, people would be complaining that he doesn't have like the killer instinct, wouldn't they? Where people would have been saying, "Oh, well, you know, he can't, he can't cut it. He's not brave enough, not bold enough," and uh, all, all of this. I think just to further to Mark's point about it not necessarily affecting his his future. I think the fact that I mean the fact that George and Toto clearly had a conversation in between George's uh, still quite emotional comments even after the race on Sunday and that statement coming out. That statement was very much, uh, <laughs> that was just typical of George, wasn't it? He, he's, I, I, I suspect in his heart of hearts, he still doesn't believe he was in the wrong, but I think he's probably just after the fact is now when he's, you know, Toto's talking about that, having that global perspective behind the wheel. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with Mark and say that's an unre- unreasonable expectation but I think George does have a tremendous global perspective outside of the car. And I'm sure while having that conversation with Toto before it, after it, while he's thinking about it, he'll have thought the most sensible thing for me to do here is accept that the person who may decide my future has a slight disagreement with me over this. And it makes sense for me to play the magnanimous card and say, yeah, OK, I'll like eat a bit of humble pie here because it will help me out. Uh, further down the line to me anyway the statement had the air of someone who had sort of accepted that it was the the right and sensible thing to do I I think with the way that George was talking on Sunday evening I I I can't believe that he would suddenly just decide actually no do you know what completely on me my bad guys Um, I think he sort of accepted that the 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 smart thing to do there is to climb down a little bit yeah it's to his benefit to put it all to bed There'll still be questions of it when we get to Algarve, but it's not going to be such a big thing. So you can say, well, we've dealt with it. We've had the the sort of final final climb down. And yeah, I think I think those think it's going to impact his, his future with Mercedes. Mercedes will will pick him if they think he's the best driver. He's still the same driver. He was still a very, very good driver. So I, I don't think it's going to significantly impact his, uh, his chances of that seat next year. And I think, as Mark has said before, He's probably the most likely Mercedes driver to be uh, in the in the car in 2022, given the contract situation of the of the others. Scott, the on again, off again Miami Grand Prix is back on again for 2022. The circuit different to the original plan. So, are you confident F1 has finally got that long-awaited second American race firmly set? Uh, well, I'll correct you. The circuit's not different to the original plan. The circuit is different to the one that was different to the one that was different to the one that was different to the original plan. I think it has changed. I think it's the fourth or fifth variant now um it's even changed since um the final change last year when they moved it completely off of public roads and onto private grounds that the circuit originally that they were planning within the miami dolphins nfl stadium grounds were it went left and then back round to the right and now it just goes right at, at turn one so they've even changed the first corner um now um but i i i think we are now at a point where this race we 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 should plan on this race happening. It, it has the deal. It's on a. We we knew that they'd had a ten year deal in principle, but I guess they were waiting for the race to actually start before that ten year period began. Um, 
they got the blessing of the local authority in the build-up to the Imola weekend. Um, that was quite significant. Um, it's taken a, a $5 million um, investment package around sort of community engagement and leaving a more positive cultural legacy on the area and you know, putting in um, putting in the sort of structure that allows for uh, young students to get engaged in different industries for apprenticeships and stuff like this and that so that's all well and good um, I think they're still going to have loads of opposition I remember when I was uh, working in Formula E and uh, reporting on the Battersea Park saga um, and being in endless Wandsworth Council meetings because of the uh, opposition locally to the race happening and these people don't give up that that, that they'll lose one battle and they'll come back for the next one so F1's going to have people with um, people with strong opposing views that they'll be voicing every day or every week between now and the race happening for the first time and when the race happens for the first time and there are traffic problems and it's loud and all of this people will be up in arms again and they'll they'll use that as as grounds to argue even harder afterwards. So if F1 wants to race in Miami for the next 10 years, it has to prepare itself for 10 years of aggravation because unfortunately it's found an area in Miami Gardens where the locals really aren't sold on it or some of the locals really aren't sold on it. It's it's never the it's never the majority and the people who have something to say um as my you know my my twitter mentions feed can attest and the youtube comments can sometimes attest as well it's normally the people who have something bad to say are the ones that that shout the loudest so all that said and done f1's very happy to get this over the line miami's very happy to get this over the line they're saying it's not a compromise moving it into the into the nfl stadium i think by definition it's a compromise because it's not what they originally wanted so that, that there is that I think that the final version of the circuit is probably a minor improvement over the street circuit that they they started with just because that was so 90 degree corners left and right really long straight tight hairpin just unimaginative and and, and quite boring I don't think that this circuit's going to be particularly great for racing but let's see uh but I think this I think the bottom line is the project's real now before it was just our oh, setback after setback after setback and f1 was almost just like pig-headedly cracking on with this pipe dream but it is real the contract's done i think we're going to miami in 2022 which is pretty cool um if we do go there next year it'd be interesting to see how many times we go back america and formula one have had an uneasy relationship over the years obviously austin seems to have become a fairly stable home for the the united states grand prix so there's been this push for that second race remember there was the new jersey race that was going to happen for for some years and, and never quite came off all sorts of projects. Do you think this is kind of sustainable for the US to have two races? And is it actually important for F1, do you think, to have that that firm foothold there? It's desirable. It, it can it can manage without, I'm sure, but it's desirable. It, it, it expands the market. Um, it, Austin is a fantastic venue. It's a fantastic racetrack. Uh, it's a, just unfortunate that they, they struggle to make a lot of money from it. So um, in, in terms of the, the, the business side of it, um, Perhaps something needs to be tweaked there. Um, but yeah, I think if um, if you can get two two US races to be uh, commercially viable, um, I think it's it's only a, it's only a good thing for Formula One. And I, I also like that the organisers and the and F one between them in the in the case of Miami have, have you know gone quite a long way to 
addressing the concerns, you know, the 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 setting up apprenticeship schemes for for locals and then high schools, engineering, um, you know, related related to to the sport. So um, I think there's the, the the will the will to make it happen from Formula One itself is is very strong, and I think Miami would be in many ways a perfect a perfect venue to to have that second race. But I hope I just hope it's not at the expense of Austin because that's such a, a brilliant track and a brilliant venue. Yeah, Austin's just a a great place. I hope we'll be going there for for many many years. But if history tells us anything, it's that the United States Grand Prix is a slightly nomadic. Entity, it's been all over the place uh, over the years. First held in Georgia, wasn't it? The original one uh, back in eighteen, no, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, sort of time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on um, sort of private land, sort of the Grand Prize, Savannah. Yeah, certainly, perhaps not not something to go back to, but yeah, it's it's amazing that that whole history. You can probably have a look online and find all the circuits that have held. Grand Prix racing of one form or another in the United States. There's no lack of them. Well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes, for your insight. Loads to read on the race.com website. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there from everyone, and also Gary Anderson and the rest of the race team. Check out our YouTube channel as well there. Lots to watch. And also our sister podcast, Bring Back V10s. We're now going to turn our attention to Portugal and Mark's going to try and make his way there. Good luck in your travels and we'll bring you everything you need to know about the Portuguese Grand Prix after the race. (laughs) 